Good evening. Let's find the book of Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 4. There's something we immediately enjoy about this part of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul enjoyed such a refreshing and cordial relationship with the local church in Philippi. They helped Paul not only in the expected intangible means through prayer and encouragement, they helped Paul in tangible ways, sending a messenger to him to provide for his necessities. Paul was moved by their support, and Paul was grateful to God for them. In every way, they had expressed their cordiality with Paul. But had that support not been sent, or had it not arrived, it would not have changed Paul's attitude or his contentment. Listen, please. I'm in Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Wouldn't it be great if we could learn what Paul learned? Let's take up this passage for a few minutes tonight. Do the work of study and good thought and application. And I hope each of us can use this study to take a closer step to contentment in Christ that God intends for us to have. Start at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He went on to say, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Sometimes it happens that we care about someone's need, but we lack opportunity or resource to respond. Sounds like that was the case with the Christians in Philippi toward Paul at one point in time. Their care for Paul was uninterrupted. Paul said, if you had the New King James, you surely did care. But for an unknown period of time, they lacked opportunity to express their care in the tangible ways that they wanted to express their care for him. That didn't disturb Paul. It did not throw him into despair because... We move now to the next two verses. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, 
abundance and need. With most people, there is a nagging absence of this depth of contentment. With most people, when things are going good, we feel good and we are up. But when things turn, or when we perceive that things have turned, when things are not going along well as we expect, then we feel bad. Most people have an emotional level that is up and down depending upon how things are going. And that certainly applies for most people with respect to the matter of income. Income is good. Bills are being paid. You can buy things and save a little money. You're good. But if income is interrupted, if your job is lost, if a huge unexpected expense intrudes into your budget, your emotional level drops or in some cases may explode. Most people have not learned the contentment, the depth of contentment Paul describes in this text. And it may occur to us that many Christians have not learned this. Our mood, our disposition goes up and down according to the earthly circumstances that go up or down. In fact, have you ever noticed how we greet one another? It is common for us to say something like, How's everything going with you? Everything going okay? Are you having a good week? Now, I'm not critical of that. I use those forms of greeting because I want to hear that things are going well with you and you want to hear that things are going well with me. But let's be honest, it could be that these forms of greeting have developed in part because of our common perception that if things are going well, we are okay. But if we are sick, if income has suddenly dropped, or if there is some crisis that we're involved with or concerned about, we cannot be content and we are not happy. So the apostle enjoyed a rare attitude of contentment. We can just mark that down. The apostle Paul enjoyed a rare attitude of contentment. Fact is, without the tangible support of the Philippians. <clears throat> I mean, if the check had not arrived, so to speak, it did not change Paul's level of contentment. It didn't throw him into despair. He had such trust in God and was so focused and involved with his work, his life with Christ, and his declaration of the gospel. His earthly circumstances were truly and really secondary. His earthly situation could fluctuate up and down, but he remained steady. His inner contentment was not a function of what happened day to day or hour to hour. It was a function of his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he describes it as we've read. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I want to introduce at this point in our study a graphic. Sometimes in my study of Scripture, a chart or a graphic will come up. Maybe that's a function of being a preacher for 48, 49 years. But I want to share this with you. It may help represent what we're talking about. What I want to represent here is that most of the time it may be that our lives run along some sort of an even course. You can see that at the very left-hand side of the graph or the chart. We manage little glitches along the way, but mostly there is peace, and our routine continues without major interruption. And so, as long as that line remains even, we are content. We say things are okay. When things more evenly distribute themselves along that line, we claim that we have contentment, but focus on the part where Paul says, in whatever state, in whatever state, he said. So here, or here, or over here, Paul says, in whatever state, in whatever situation, I am content. Now, that's where the challenge comes in for us. Maintaining that level of contentment, though things move along this graph this way. To maintain a sense of commitment when life runs on a smooth course is one thing. But to maintain that same sense of commitment or contentment when life doesn't run the smooth course. See, that's what we're looking at. Life here on earth may present us with great joys. Some tangible benefit that was not expected. Some success that takes you to a great high. Some great opportunity that you didn't see coming. But also, life on earth has another side and may present us with unexpected tragedy. Lows that come along through poor health, injury, various kinds of disappointments and hard realities. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 7, we do not know what is to be. Who can tell how it will be? I made the observation this morning that we are not prophets. We cannot sit down with pen and paper and write out what will happen in 700 years or seven days or seven hours or seven minutes. James spoke of this in James chapter 4 that we will study here in a couple of classes in the adult class. We do not know what a day may bring forth. Now what we must strive for is what Paul describes. And we may never perceive that we're there perfectly. But Paul had this rare attitude of contentment through changing circumstances. And it was all based on his focus on faith in Christ and the activity of that faith. 
so that a financial crash didn't just ruin his attitude. An illness didn't just destroy Paul's faith. When people disappointed him, and there were many, when people disappointed him, while it hurt because of their spiritual condition, there was a deep sense in Paul that his work would continue. His life with Christ would go on. So Paul took hits. And we take hits. Before those hits come, we need to prepare ourselves by submitting to the discipline of the Word of God, by following Christ, and by applying good biblical concepts in our mind and our conduct. Paul said to the Christians in Philippi, if I may paraphrase, I really appreciate your support. I have needs. I appreciate your interest in fulfilling my financial needs. I know that you care even when the check doesn't get here. But whether I receive your check or not, in whatever state I am, I've learned to be content. And that's what we need to learn, and we need to learn it better. And it's learned. It is not automatic. It comes through the experience and discipline of your faith over the years. Wouldn't you like to move closer to this contentment Paul describes in Philippians chapter 4? Let's do this. Let's dig around in the context of Philippians 4. Let's take our shovels out. We're going to dig around in Philippians 4, and we're not going to have to dig very deep to see how this kind of contentment is developed. We're going to stay right here in Philippians 4, and we're going to see how we can reach this level of spiritual maturity. I'm going to go back and start at verse 1. Stand fast in the Lord. There must be personal determination that is dogmatic. <clears throat> this is where I stand. I will not be moved from my faith in God. I will not wander away from the standard revealed in Scripture. Nobody, nobody will lead me away from Bible authority. I'm going to stand with the Lord. Stand fast in the faith. And that must be your own determination and my own determination. Verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, does this mean pray while you're in crisis mode? Well, certainly. We'll do that. But here's what I need to add. The praying you do in crisis mode will not be as effective if you haven't learned to pray consistently before crisis mode hit. 
Let me say that again. We will pray in a crisis, no doubt about that. But the praying we do in crisis mode will not be as effective if you haven't learned the discipline of good prayer before the crisis. The peace that surpasses all understanding needs to guard your heart before the crisis and then in the crisis you'll be an experienced prayer. You'll be an experienced prayer. So as Paul said in another place, pray without ceasing so that when you find yourself in the low part of that graph, when you find yourself in the valleys of life, you will have already formed such a relationship with God. Prayer will be more than just an impulse in the moment of crisis. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Good heart content is the habit of a righteous person. Good heart content that you maintain. You meet the challenge of it daily. Thought discipline is not only necessary and beneficial on a daily basis, moment to moment, it creates a frame of mind that will generate survival skills that you will use when you're at the low part of that graph in those tough circumstances that you go through. Discipline your thoughts with the discipline of God's Word before crisis mode hits. You're preparing for crisis mode every day by what you take in and nurture up here. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Here's something we talk about here all the time, and we will continue to talk about it. Following the instructions the apostles of Christ gave that we have on the pages of the New Testament. Following those instructions in all that we do individually, in our families, and collectively, Jesus sent Paul and others. Paul wrote instructions given to him from heaven. We must be a people who make those instructions our way of life. To the extent we do that and we learn good values and how to act, we learn how to be content. There is a great measure of contentment in knowing that you're following Scripture. You're doing what the Apostle said about attitude and action. You're doing that in your family. You're doing that in your relationships. And we're doing that together in our work here. If we want the contentment and maturity that Paul had, we need to do what Paul said. Right here in the context. Stand fast in the Lord. 
pray, think good thoughts, nurture good thoughts, and follow the pattern revealed by the apostles of Christ. Now, you look at all this and you say, well, I'm going to need some strength to do that. As you do these things, as you take seriously these assignments of discipline, along with everything else in the New Testament, God requires of us, your first impression is this is going to require strength. Verse 13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I want to repeat something I said earlier. What we're talking about tonight is not automatic. It's not just automatic or imposed upon us. It is not that you were baptized and there is imposed into your mind the contentment Paul describes in Philippians 4. No. And it is not that you come to a building and put your name on a list or directory and give money and take the Lord's Supper and contentment just happens. It is through the daily activity of faith. What we're talking about tonight is intentional. Where you want this level of maturity and you become so engaged with Christ toward God and so involved in the application of Bible teaching that you do these things, you do them consistently, you do them better and Christ in that process strengthens you to have the commitment that Paul describes. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I've recently reread a book I read years ago, co-authored by two Christians, called A Life Lost and Found, written by Wilson Adams and David Lamphere. Both Christians, one a gospel preacher, the other an attorney. I often recommend that book. One chapter in the book is called Everyone Has a Story. Everyone has a story. You may think you know people who've never suffered. What's likely is they have suffered or they are suffering. You just don't know their story. I think everybody has a story. I think everybody encounters challenges. Everybody has problems. They may not be the same problems that I have, and perhaps they are more or less than the problems that I have on my list, but everybody has a story. 
Everybody has a story of some unexpected tragedy, some accident, some injury, death of a loved one, a financial loss, a disease, some other form of disappointment, or the intrusion of your own sin. Everybody has a story, so you are not alone. The next time you're tempted to think you are the only one suffering, talk to somebody and see what their story is and see what you learn. And read the Bible and see how people in Bible times, Old Testament and New, suffered and how they conquered suffering. It was by the activity of faith, pursued with full intention of heart every day, enabling men and women like Paul to reach this rare attitude of contentment. I needed this. I'm going to assume that since you have a story too, you needed this. Let's stand fast in the Lord and learn to pray without ceasing, discipline our thoughts, and never depart from the teachings of the Apostles of Christ. Let's be standing as we sing.